Hello everyone, this is Noah and John, and we are from Urban Digs. We are talking Manhattan. Johnny, we got Jared Anton, Director of Sales from Elegron here today, mm -hmm. and we're gonna have a really comprehensive, analytical, this guy, this guy's smart. So, Very smart. Yeah. You know, one of the things that I like about Jared is he's constantly, you know, bouncing ideas off of us and he's got a, a really good head on his shoulders about what's happening out on the streets and he, he puts data together in an interesting way to really draw some, some great conclusions. So, um, yeah, you know, without further ado, I think we should turn it over to Jared. Yeah, we're gonna get to Jared. I mean, look, this is this is gonna be, we gotta, it's good we're recording it because we're gonna have to listen to this a few times, you know what I'm saying? Oh, wait so, a second. Are we recording? I don't know. No, I'm I, just kidding. Oh, of course I, we are. Of course we are. That's what we do. But anyway, what I'm saying is that if you're listening to this and something gets a little bit over your head or you have to listen to it twice, that is okay. That's why yeah. we're doing this. So Jared, thank you for being here. Uh, great to have you. And what is going on in New York City real estate? Hey, Noah. Hey, John. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. Um, sharing some insights. Um, so a lot is going on. Uh, that's a short answer. We can dig into a bit of, uh, of a longer answer. But it's definitely uh, a tale of multiple markets based upon neighborhood and, and price point. Um, so if you're looking at, you know, the under million dollar segment and even in the, you know, one to two million dollar segment, it's almost like it was last year, like COVID never happened in terms of, you know, there being strong fire demand. Um, you know, we have a, a fair amount of inventory that's come onto the market. And the buyers generally in those segments have a need or a want to be here. And they're, they're trying to trade up from, you know, the rental apartment or, you know, want to just secure a new place and take advantage of a little bit of a, of a softness in the market there that gives them a little bit of a better avenue to, to purchase an apartment. Um, when you get above 3 million, it's drastically different though. Uh, mm -hmm. Many of those, you know, above $3 million buyers have the means to have multiple residences and, you know, they're focused on their home in the Hamptons or somewhere other than in the city right now. And they're largely absent uh, from the market. You know, we're seeing very little transactions happening above 4 million. Uh, I know you follow the, the Ocean Report and things like that. There's not a lot that's happening there. Uh, and the deals that are, are largely spurred because there's uh, a real, you know, great deal, right? They're buying it because there's a good deal. Uh, whereas if you're looking at what's happening in the, the lower price points, there's a need and, and they're buying for need-based, not want-based. Very, very interesting. And you know what? We were talking about luxury for a second. Um, I wonder where that luxury threshold is now. You know, I mean, it's top 10%, right, John? Is technically how we're defining luxury? That's usually how we define it, yeah. Yeah, and it's interesting. It's not something we really follow. I mean, 4 million is definitely, definitely a great level to do it at, but I'm just curious naturally. I mean, I wonder if it's like 3.2 million or something now or something underneath because of the nature of this crisis. Um, Jared, you had some interesting things you were talking about before we started this podcast. You were talking about absorption rates. Um, and for those of uh, you that don't understand what absorption rates are, um, basically as uh, that absorption rate number goes higher, the market is weaker. And as that absorption rate goes lower, the market is stronger. And it's, it's reflective in months of inventory based on demand. So tell us what you, what you compiled with absorption rate and what the conclusions are. Absolutely. So in keeping with some of my prior comments, not surprisingly, you know, the sub million dollar market is, is pretty competitive. There's about 12 months of inventory there from an absorption rate perspective. But you compare that with, you know, 5 million plus and there's almost 40 months of inventory. That's a huge difference. Um, for context, you know, the absorption rates have basically doubled in the last six months. And the absorption rates have basically tripled from where they were in 2014 you know, which were the boon years of, of Manhattan. 
Um, so th there's a lot of inventory and a slowdown in terms of uh, the amount of contracts, but it's incredibly notable on the luxury side of the market. So, so what about um, location? Could you give me anything by neighborhood? Anything uh, that's experiencing what's hot and what's not, for example? Yeah, so there's a couple of key neighborhoods where there's uh, a lot of demand. And, and it's important to note, you know, who's buying today. So we're seeing a lot of locals, right? Uh, people that, you know, have lived here for a while, want to make New York their home for a long period of time. Um, you know, there's fewer pied-à-terre buyers, fewer investors, fewer international buyers. So keeping that in mind, you look at which neighborhoods are, are incredibly hot right now, and they're focused on the ones that are more neighborhoody. Uh, in demand long time by the, the local buyers. So we have Chelsea, Gramercy, Murray Hill, and the Upper West Side. These are seeing strong increases in buyer activity over the last two months. Mm -hmm. um, Brooklyn has been incredibly hot. Uh, and Brooklyn has been incredibly in demand by locals for the last three and a half years. And this trend is even more magnified today when you don't have all those other buyer types I just mentioned in the market. So Williamsburg, Greenpoint, Park Slope, Brooklyn Heights, you know, Red Hook, these are neighborhoods that are seeing a lot of demand because uh, Manhattanites can come and, and buy in Brooklyn, get a little bit more space, light, air uh, for the money. And those things are all very much in demand right now. So let me ask you this, Jared, because I think you're making a very interesting point here. Um, when we talk about, you know, we, Brooklyn seems very hot right now. And what you're simply saying is, there's always been a demand for Brooklyn. It's just been obscured by some of the higher end sales. And as we strip those away, we sort of look at sort of the, the under 2 million sales, the under 1 million sales specifically, there's just been this sort of native demand for Brooklyn that's just constantly been bubbling at the surface, whereas it and that same demand in Manhattan is a little bit less. Is that, is that sort of an accurate summation? Yes, said it perfectly. And, okay, and great. Sarah, just, just to get it clear, sorry, John, um, it's not like Brooklyn's on fire. We're talking relative to Manhattan, right? So Brooklyn has had some impact or, or what are you telling me here? So Brooklyn has had impact. I mean, if, if you read the headlines, um, you know, the, the news articles are painting Brooklyn in the same ways they're painting, you know, Westchester, Connecticut, and the Hamptons, that it's on fire. And it is to some extent. And when you look at the bid-ask spreads mm -hmm. uh, in terms of the discounts, you know, Brooklyn is hovering right at about a 1% discount off ask compared to Manhattan that's, you know, closer to, uh, you know, 5%. So from that perspective, there is much, uh, there, there, it's a much tighter market. Interesting. And, and a lot of this really sort of applies to the buy side because you're sort of looking at, you know, um, what's out there and, you know, kind of gauging the competition amongst your fellow buyers to sort of get a sense for how the market is. But if we could shift to the sell side for a second, you know, one of the things you mentioned is sellers are facing a dilemma today. I was hoping you could elaborate a little bit on that for us. Yeah, so there, there's the seller's dilemma or the catch-22 as I'm calling it. And, and a seller really has a choice. They have a choice between, you know, do they want a price on the higher side and with the understanding that buyer's gonna come in and negotiate. So if they price higher, they think, hey, a buyer's gonna come in and lowball, you know, let me at least leave a little bit of cushion to negotiate. Or the flip side is, do you price aggressively, you know, where the market is, or in some cases right below, to just get that buyer demand. And this is a, a constant struggle of, of sellers today. And, and I spend a lot of time, you know, advising sellers, advising my agents who are dealing with listings uh, about what to do. And, and I honestly believe that, you know, a seller needs to come in and price aggressively today, right? Uh, we can do a lot of marketing and we're doing it, but if they're not priced properly, nothing else really matters uh, mm -hmm. unless you have a really neat trophy apartment that's one of a kind. But 
your run-of-the-mill average apartment needs to be priced right. Because if you're priced too high, you're just not going to get any interest. Uh, and if you're priced on the lower side, you may still get low-ball bids. Um, but if you do your job right and you get enough demand, those bids will bid themselves up and you can recreate uh, artificial demand. And uh, I actually have a, a perfect A-B test to this. Um, we had put on uh, two very, very similar listings in terms of conditions, uh, building, things like that. And one we priced on the money and one we mm -hmm. priced a little bit high. And the on the money, I got you know multiple showings and multiple, multiple bids uh, and, and ultimately got it to a very, very good price within three days. Uh, and the one that was priced a little bit high, I've had only two showings and no bids. So it's a perfect A-B test to prove that hypothesis, that if a seller is really serious to sell, come priced well, you don't have to accept the lower offer than you want, but if you're not comfortable accepting you know, where you're priced at, it may not be the right time for you to sell. That, that's really interesting, Jared, um, that A-B test right there. And this, this, the one that was priced high, number one, it's, it's really interesting that you can see right off the bat, all right, this one is priced high and this one is priced right. Um, the one that's priced high, is that the seller's call? Just He has, he has the luxury of time or he's just, um, he wants to see for himself that he can't get his number or, you know. Yeah, you know, so, some sellers are more motivated to let, you know, something go than others. Um, so it's, it's really trying to manage those expectations uh, and understand what their time frame is. A seller that wants to sell today you know, the window of opportunity is here, I believe. So mm -hmm. if someone wants to get out of their property within the next, you know, six to 12 months, now's the time. Some are, are testing the market and a little bit more patient. And, you know, they wanted to use the August time period until we got to Labor Day to see. Right. Would you, could, would you think that most of the sellers uh, that are out there are, are in the category of, I need to move property or in the category of, um, you know what, uh, let me see what I can get here. I'll go down, but I'm not, I'm not going down 20%. Uh, it's a mix. And, and you don't necessarily know if you're representing a buyer until you put in that bid. You know, there, there's definitely some people that just want to liquidate it. Um, I would say there's a fair amount of people that want to have the option of, of liquidating. So they want to be on the market to see if they get something within reason. And yeah. if they do, they'll, they'll liquidate it. This is especially true with people that own pied tears you know, that may think that they can't use it for a little while because they can sell now. You take the maintenance that they're paying every month. You can spend a month in the nicest hotel in Manhattan for the money they're going to save in the next 12 to 18 months. Right. Yeah, it's a, it's a great point. And that's, you know, one of the things that we've been talking about um, here and there on, on some of our reports is that, you know, we usually define the market in terms of buyers and where the buyer's bids are. And while that's always true, I think today's market's much more determined by the sellers and and which sellers are, are determined to sell and which sellers are reluctant to sell. And one of the things we've been noticing um, since the market has reopened, you know, as we got into sort of July, end of July, mid-August now, the number of units that sellers are taking off the market has slowly and steadily increased as it does in a typical active market. Like once several weeks have, have passed and the sellers haven't gotten there, haven't gotten the bids they want, they're pulling the market, they're pulling their listings off the market, which sort of tells us that these are not panic sellers. They're not, they're not trying to go anywhere fast. They're, they put it on. They didn't get their numbers. They're going to take it off. May, they might try again. We usually see a, a nice bump uh, in terms of active inventory after Labor Day. But it also tells us that it, it seems like this exodus that everyone's talking about from Manhattan is, is yet to be decided. And I think that's fair to say. I don't know if Noah would agree to that. But um, you know, it seems like this market's all about the sellers these days. Yeah, I, I, I would agree with that. And I think, I mean, look, we're also in it. 
we're in it. I mean, and, and, and where are we going to be every year? You got to look a year out. You got to look two years out. You know, you can't, you can't, you can't analyze it when you're inside of it. Sometimes you can't see well. So yeah, let's, let's clear the clouds a little bit. You know, and I think one of the things that people always forget, and I think Jared, you touched on this is that when people talk about Manhattan real estate, Brooklyn real estate, real estate in general, it's a very illiquid thing. And we talk about sort of the conditions of the market and, and, and the marketing we're putting into this because these things tend to sit on the market for weeks, months, sometimes years in, in, in many cases. But the fact remains that Manhattan is by far the most liquid of the, all these illiquid markets. And like every market, it's really a function of price. And the market at the right price is very, very liquid. It's very, very transactional. So as you're saying with your A-B test, if you price it right, the buyers are there. And that's, if I, that's sort of a long-winded introduction to my questions is if you could sort of walk us through your price calculation for a seller, uh, how you're doing it these days, that would be really helpful. Yeah, so I'm giving increasing weight right now and what else is on the market? Um, you know, in the past, we focused so much on closed sales uh, and, and a little bit on what was on the market, but closed sales are so irrelevant right now as we've been talking and you guys have been talking about the price discovery. So it's really about the consumer choice um, because buying right now is a principle of substitution. I could buy this or I could buy that. So if you're not even fitting into the realm as a seller of what other options are on the market, you're, you're just out of contention. And as you've been tracking, I mean, we're, we're thankful that supply is leveling off right now because consumers are starting to just get a wash in inventory, right? And there's so much choice and, and, and that's as more supply comes on and weakens a, a seller's ability to command a certain price. So what I'm focusing on right now is really looking at, you know, what is on the market right now? Where is the price? How long has it been there? Have they had a series of price drops? Reaching out to those brokers, understanding have they had offers? If so, you know, are they gonna share? Can you give me any insight of where they were? Looking at what recently went into contract and you know, the, the further out that you do these uh, analysis is there's more that's going into contract now. So that becomes a little bit more clear. Where were they priced? And that helps give you a clear analysis. And, and the tough part is when you have these conversations over a matter of weeks, you know, the advice can change very, very quickly as new inventory comes on. Uh, and especially this is true in the large buildings. I mean, one of our agents has, you know, several listings in a big building in Midtown West. And you know, she's getting one listing on, then another seller in the building calls her up and says, hey, I want to put a comparable listing on and I want to undercut that guy. And now this creates a, another little thing that the agent has to manage about, okay, I have one seller that wants a price here because they're really motivated to get it out. And I have another seller that, you know, isn't as motivated and wants to put on a little bit higher. And even if there's multiple agents involved, you're seeing the same things because now sellers within the buildings, especially, you know, these buildings that were built in the mid 2000s that are fairly cookie cutter, you know, apartment A is very, very similar to apartment B there. That's a really interesting point. The, the, the sell-side competition, the degree of sell-side competition in times like this when illiquidity goes down um, and you have some sellers that have a time you need to sell and other sellers and most sellers that don't, and now you're in the same building or you're right nearby in the best comp right. and they just keep underpinning you. What do you do? These are, these are things that the, as an agent, you have to explain to the seller up front that is, is, is part of the times that I bet you most agents don't even discuss that dynamic and they'll just wait for it to happen and then deal with it on the fly in real time as it happens. Yeah, well, you know, what are we going to do? You know, they got to lower their price. They got to lower their price. I guess he needs to sell. 
right. it should be discussed ahead of time. And managing those expectations. I mean, when I'm writing, when I give a, uh, an analysis right now to a prospective seller, I'm edu educating an agent on what to do. I have a whole preamble of basically, hey, these are my conditions or my disclosures, right? Is, you know, this is subject to change. We need to be on top of this. And, you know, I can call you up tomorrow and say, hey, you know, apartment upstairs or downstairs came on and they're 150,000 below what I told you and everything changes. And, and that's, and then if you introduce this into a co-op standpoint, then you have a whole other question of what's the board even going to accept. And I've been exposed to a number of deals where the board rejects it because they think it's quote unquote too low uh, without real understanding that that doesn't mean that the next buyer is going to come on at more. It means the next buyer is most likely going to come on at neck or, or at lower and it creates a, a downward spiral there. So, you know, in a condo, it's one thing in a co-op, it's a whole other beast. Right, I, of course, and I imagine it's a, you know it's one conversation in Manhattan. It's quite another conversation in Brooklyn, right? Um, and that, that's sort of kind of you know we're starting to wrap things up here. And I'm just curious, Jared, you know, for the agents out there that are on the sell side right now, what, what's the one piece of advice you would give them? Over communicate. You know, you you don't get fired by over communicating. So you know, I, I the way I do business is transparency, you know, disclosure, consistency, and and the no update update. Right? I want to get a no update. update. Date, right you know when people don't communicate people get concerned about what's happening behind the scenes and they invent their own narrative so um, the one advice I have is over communicate to the sellers keep them up to speed on what's happening and give them metrics about what's going on how many people inquired how many people viewed it what the feedback is and just be incredibly honest mm -hmm. and transparent with them what about the buyers so on the buy side, it's the same thing. You know, explain what's going to happen. You need to have that buyer broker consultation up front. You need to sit down, walk them through the whole process, explain to them how this is going to go, explain to them why they need to get pre-approved up front, go over the revenue form, explain your role in the transaction, introduce the attorney. All of that needs to happen right up front. Uh, and you need to understand, you know, what is their time frame? What is their motivation to buy? And what's happening is, you know, what we saw in July right after this unlock was a shortening sales cycle, right? Like pre-COVID, we were seeing, you know, the average inquiry to offer could be three months, four months. It took a lot of, you know, follow-up. And, uh, and then what happened after the shutdown, when it, when it reopened, there was a lot of people that, you know, just wanted to buy. They were so sick of their apartment. They needed something new. And we saw a very, very quick, you know, inquiry to offer, like 30, 45 days. Um, but that has started to change now. Um, as there's been more inventory, um, you know, buyers have been awash in, in, in inventory and there's choice paralysis right now. So more people are shopping, they're waiting to see what's going to come on next week and maybe price lower than what's on this week. So yeah. for an agent's perspective to work with buyers today, it's all about staying in front of them, following up, following back, being consistent. And again, no update, update, Hey, nothing new came on or Hey, you were interested in this apartment, you know, it ended up going into contract, your low ball bid, you know, was way off the mark. And here's why. And sometimes buyers need to lose an apartment or two to get a sense uh, of where they are. And again, it depends on what price point we're in sub million, sub 3 million, or, you know, 5 million plus there, there's a drastic difference in terms of the amount of negotiating power that a buyer may have. Right. Yeah. And, and lastly, and lastly, for agents trying to just trying to build up business in this market, what do you, what do you suggest? So a lot of clients right now that we're seeing are, are former renters. You know, there are people that were renting a one bedroom or a junior four, and now they want to buy a two bedroom. So 
look introspectively, look at people, you know, in your network, look at people that you may have helped find a rental apartment years ago. Um, and what I've seen is we've been getting a lot of business by just being a, a voice of reason, right, in the marketplace of just someone who's calling it like it is and educating consumers about what's actually going on. You know, what you see all the stats in the media, they're very rear view mirror and, and, and distorted, right? They don't really tell the reality. Sales aren't really down as much as they're saying um, when you look at the hyper local market. So it's important to educate consumers uh, about what's really happening. Right. So in, a, in other words, shouting New York is dead is not going to get you any new, any new consumers. Right. Every broker actually has a new best friend in Jerry Seinfeld for his New York Times op-ed yesterday. I saw that blasted everywhere all over social media. So, Right. Thank yeah. you, Jerry. And, and I saw some consistencies there. You said transparency is one thing. And listen, I agree. This is a great period to go cement your role as credible, transparent um, um, advisor right now. I mean, um, tell it like it is. And, yeah, and your clients will look to you. And what we're seeing, I mean, at Elegrin, we have, you know, 85 agents and we have a number of people that are crushing it right now. Elegrin's doing about 4% of the market share right now uh, in New York, meaning we've been involved in about 4% of the transactions each of these last three weeks, which is incredible considering we have like less than half a percent of the age account. And what we're seeing our agents doing is that are succeeding is they're consistent. So they're pounding the pavement every day. They're not here for two days and then gone for two. They're, they're pounding the pavement every day. They're following up with clients, both those that are active today and those that were active six months ago. They, they know the market, they know the stats, they know how to talk to it. So it's consistency, it's education, and it's being quick on the follow back and follow and response rate. Awesome stuff. I love it. And on that note, we are going to end. We are out of time. Jared Anton from Elegant, thank you so much for joining this call. This is Noah and John. We are from Urban Digs. We're talking Manhattan, and we'll catch you next time.